We've been in a series called Summer Sunday School for Grown-Ups. And uh, some of you have heard these stories a hundred times, right? Others of you, maybe you're hearing some of these stories preached on for the first time. Um, But what's cool is you are telling us uh, what you want us to preach on. In fact, just this morning, this is so funny, I'm getting people coming up to me with like slips of paper and like looking around. And they're like, here, pastor. (laughs) And I'm opening it up and it's a sermon topic that they want me to preach on in this series. So um, it's fun to see all the different topics that you guys have suggested coming in. Uh, But hopefully we're all learning a few things or at least being refreshed on a few things as we work through this series. And and this morning, we're going to look at the topic of uh, Peter's denial of Christ at Jesus' trial, and then also the subsequent conversation, interaction, encounter that takes place after Jesus is raised from the dead, okay? Um, So we're going to be kind of studying Peter a little bit here this morning, and I'll tell you, um, one of the reasons I I really like Peter and and kind of talking about Peter this morning, I, I feel like I can relate to Peter. Does anybody else maybe feel that way? I just feel like, I, I, I don't know, I, I, get, I get Peter. And a part of that is when you study Peter, one of the things you learn is that he was a super, like, even overly confident person in his own abilities. And he's kind of something you see come out. He's just overly confident. And that's been me. That's been part of my journey. I've kind of had this just overconfidence in my own abilities uh, ever since I became a, you know, became a Christian. I was just like, God, you know, is going to use me. And I can do this thing called ministry. And I just kind of had that, uh, that, just that confidence in my heart. Uh, but, you know... <laughs> Overconfidence can get you into trouble at the same time. I, I remember even starting off here at, at Edinburgh, and I had preached at other churches and, uh, that I was a part of, usually like on a once-a-month basis, but it gets a little different when you're preaching every week, right? And it just <laughs> it becomes part of your routine, and you're expected to have another fresh message the next week. And so I was stepping into that, and I was learning, and some of my messages would go over okay, but I remember there were some other weeks where it was just brutal, okay? And some of you remember enduring those days, and I remember I was preaching one message in particular, and it was, it was, it was, it was landing a little flat, okay, uh, to say the least, and I could just tell, and you can generally tell after the service, because generally people will avoid you. I noticed, like, you guys avoided me, the board avoided me, and then my wife avoided me, Okay, because she didn't want me asking the inevitable question. So what did you think about that message? Uh, Yeah, did you think that was an okay message? She didn't want to have to lie to me. So she like avoided me for the whole week. Okay, that's when you know it probably didn't go over very well. Um, But I do remember the sweetest woman, okay? Some of you remember Pat Cross, okay? She's passed away since. But Pat Cross came up to me and she said, Pastor, that was one of the most wonderful sermons I've ever heard. And I was thinking, okay, well, at least there was one person touched by this message. And then she said, now I couldn't hear it because my hearing aid wasn't working. 
but I could tell it was a, it was a great sermon, all right? So I, I kind of learned early on in my, you know, uh, ministry career that, you know, overconfidence can sometimes uh, get us into trouble. I think God can also use it in our life. <laughs> if we didn't have a little naivety, I don't know if we'd step into some of the things we find ourselves in. But uh, Peter's like that. Peter just has this overconfidence in his, his own abilities. In fact, there's an occasion where Jesus is telling the disciples that um, he's going to be handed over to the authorities and that the disciples are going to um, are gonna scatter and, 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 and that they're going to, uh, they're, they're going to be scared and, and they're going to run when that day comes. But I want you to listen to what Peter says. This is Matthew 26. Listen to this confidence. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. <laughs> you hear what Peter's saying here? I, I don't care what these other cowards do. Jesus, I will never deny you. Okay, and then that's when Jesus says, I'm telling you, Peter, before the rooster crows, uh, you're going to have denied me three, three times, okay? And, and so you fast forward to Jesus' trial, and we read what happens there in Matthew 26. It, it says, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. So Jesus is on trial. The disciples are kind of hanging out the courtyard, um, you know, hanging out, trying to get any information they can about what maybe is going on with Jesus. And it says, a, a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again. This time with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. And then he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And listen to this. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Uh, can, can you imagine um, the guilt and the shame uh, that Peter is dealing with here? What, what he's uh, feeling, okay, in, in this moment. Peter is... is comes to recognize that he's, he's not maybe the hero that he thought he was. And, um, and that's so often, you know, our, our case where we, we, we don't just trust in our own abilities, we, we trust in our own righteousness. And we have an overconfidence in our own righteousness thinking that we're really better in and of ourselves than maybe we really are. Um, you know, and I, I remember working with a guy in ministry in my early days. I'm not going to say what this guy had done in his past, but I just kind of remember using that 
to say, you know, and even though this was, a, it was, I mean, this guy had repented, this guy, it had changed his life, this guy was doing amazing ministry now for the Lord. If I were to be honest, I kind of found myself going, well, at least I've never done that. I've never struggled with that. And it, 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 it was easy then for me to kind of turn a blind eye to all the things I was struggling with and all the things going on in my life and see myself and rank myself a little higher in God's pecking order. Friends, it's self-righteousness. It's an overconfidence. But what the Bible reminds us of is, guys, we all have a sin nature. Yes, if you are in Christ, you have been born again. You have become a new creation. Okay? God has done something new in you and has given you the Holy Spirit, but that sin nature is still there, lurking beneath the surface in all of us. And you put any of us in the right circumstance, you put any of us in the right situation, and we don't know what we are capable of. And that's what happens to Peter here. Okay? And so we kind of know what, what happens next, right? I mean, Jesus is raised from the dead. And when Peter finds out, he is overjoyed. Everything that Jesus said is confirmed. But Peter feels like a failure. And he doesn't think he's worthy to be a disciple of Jesus any longer. You say, how do we know that? Well, we read about this in John 21. I want to look at John 21 today. We read Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, and Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the son of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. And listen, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Did you hear that? I'm going out fishing, okay? Now, what had these men been doing for three years? They had been following Jesus, doing ministry, full-time ministry with Jesus, occasionally getting on boats and taking Jesus different places. But really, the fishing days were pretty much done, for, except for a few examples. They, these guys were now in ministry. And what's Peter saying? No, 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 I'm going back. I'm going back fishing. I'm going back to my old way of life. I'm going back to what I, what I knew. That's so often what happens to us, guys, when we feel like we failed God. I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to, to where I belong. I'm not worthy to be a disciple of, of Christ. And so we find ourselves, in a sense, walking away from our, our calling and, and a higher purpose of just how God calls us to live. And I'm convinced that this is why so many people walk away from God and walk away from the church. Guys, it's not because they don't love God. It's not because they don't love Jesus. It's because they feel like a failure and they don't feel like God could ever use them. Some of you have prodigals, kids that are not walking with the Lord right now. Have you ever thought maybe it's not that they don't love God, it's that they feel like a failure and they don't feel like God could actually use their life because of something they've done, something they struggle with currently. And that might even be some of us here. Maybe that's why some of us never serve. Maybe that's why some of us never step up and try to do more. Because could God really use me? This is Peter. Okay. And so the question I want to answer this morning 
is what do we do when we feel like failures? What do we do when we feel like we failed God? Just a couple things we can learn from the story. Okay, here's the first one. The first one is you got to let Jesus show you grace. This is where it starts, guys. You got to let Jesus show you grace. Okay, uh, verse four, we read, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. So these guys are out fishing. Jesus is on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved, said to Peter. Now, don't you just love that? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, that's John. That's the guy that wrote this book. The disciple whom Jesus loves. Okay, that's how he identifies himself here. (laughs) Whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, listen to this, he wrapped his outer garments around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. So Peter, right, he's just going to jump in the water, and he's going to do like a Michael Phelps to the shoreline, beating everybody else to get to, to Jesus. Okay. But then we read on, it says, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. Uh, It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. So Jesus prepares them a meal, prepares them this fish, this bread that he helped them to catch, right? What is Jesus doing here? He is serving them. He's serving them. And we, we lose this in today's age, but you need to understand, in the ancient Near East culture, okay, when you sat down and did food with people, that was a sign of friendship. Right? This is why when Judas is betraying Jesus and they're eating together, it's such a big deal because you didn't do that with people you ate with. And so when Jesus is actually the one preparing this, here's what he's saying, guys, you are still my friends. Peter's not the only one who ran away. Guys, you are still my friends. In fact, here's what he's saying. You're still my disciples. You are still with me in this kingdom building enterprise. Yes, you failed. But you're still my disciples. It doesn't change that. Some of you maybe today, that's what you need to hear. You are still a disciple of Christ. And to walk in that and believe that, what you're going to have to do, you're going to have to let God serve you. Too often, Peter, I'm going to serve you, Jesus. I'm going to serve you. Because it's humbling. You have to recognize we're not the hero of the story, and sometimes we're going to need to be served, and we're going to need to be shown a little bit of grace. Anybody ever been in a situation like that? Man, I remember, I think I've shared this story with you. Danielle and I, we ended up, 
driving through ice. It was the dumbest thing because it was early in the morning, and we ended up spinning across uh, the highway, all right? And we crashed into, like, this wooden post on the side of the highway, ripped the front off my car, uh, did a lot of other damage. Danielle and I were okay, uh, but I remember this cop stopped by and got our information and helped us out, but <laughs> also reported that we had, like, knocked this post like, I mean, we didn't even knock it over. We just kind of, it just kind of, this is the point, it just kind of went, doop. And I guess in the report, she drew a picture or something, it's just a, boop. And next thing I know, I'm getting a bill in the mail that says you owe over $1,000 to straighten out this post. <laughs> on top of fixing the car, on top of everything else. I'm like, what was this post made out of, Gold? Like, there's a pose, like, just straighten out the pose. I'll go out and straighten it out myself. Well, I, what I didn't know is my daddy had also gotten notified that we owed for this post. He knew we could, this is a time, Danielle and I, man, we could have never paid for that post. Over a thousand dollars. I mean, it was everything we had just to even fix up my car enough for a while, not even having a bumper on it, okay, just to drive around. And my dad just paid it off. And he just paid. He didn't have to, but he did. And he just paid it off. And I found out, like, man, I'm never going to be able to repay you for that. At the time, it was like, you, you just, I don't know what would have happened if we would have owed this bill. And we never, and my dad just, he paid it off. And I found out afterwards. It's humbling, friends. It, it can be real, because I wanted to be my own man, right? I didn't want my dad having to pay for stuff. I wanted to be, and yet, I, if I were to be brutally honest, I, I don't know what we would have done. And there's going to be times in your life where you're going to need some help, and there's going to be times in your life where you're not the hero of the story, and there's going to be times in your life where you're going to need Jesus to serve you. Yeah. And you're going to have to humble yourself and recognize that you need his grace. And that's what Jesus is doing. Guys, I love you. Yeah, you messed up, and guess what? You're occasionally going to still mess up. doesn't change the fact you're still my disciples. So the first thing we got to do is we got to let Jesus show us grace. The second thing we got to do is we got to let Jesus use our lives. You got to be willing to let Jesus now use your life. You feel like a failure, okay? You have to say, God, I... I want you to use my life the way you want to use it. So we read this. It says in verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So Jesus asks him this question three times, do you love me? Okay. What had Peter done? He had denied Christ how many times? Three. So here he's, he's, he's trying to reinstate Peter here, and he's saying, Peter, you denied me three times, but now what I'm trying to get you to see, Peter, is you do really love me. 
Man, I'm telling you, sometimes when you mess up, sometimes when you fail, okay, you're going to start to wonder, do I really love Jesus? You're going to have other people in your life question if you really love Jesus. Because why did you fail? Why are you not a perfect person? Why did you mess up if you love Jesus? I mean, that will happen. And he is trying to get Peter to see, no, I do love you. And I want some of you to hear today, I think you need to hear, you do love Jesus. Because you've been told you don't. No, you do. We all mess up. And so he's trying to reinstate Peter to say, Peter, I want you to have some of that confidence again. I hope you've been humbled a little bit by this, but you do love me. But he also wants to use Peter's life. Saying, Peter, feed my sheep. I'm reinstating you. I'm giving you a purpose. And I'm going to continue to work in you and through you. He wants to work in us and through us. But here's what some of us need to hear this morning. We got to be willing to let him use us the way he wants to use us. Okay, because sometimes we get assumptive and we have our expectations of how he's going to use we gotta, we got we to gotta let him use us the way he chooses to use us. Because look at what he says to Peter next. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, Peter, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. That's what a child does. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow him, follow Follow me. Okay, what, what, what is he talking about here? He's talking about Peter dying for his faith. Peter is going to be a martyr. He's going to be someone who's going to die for Jesus. He's going to be crucified like Jesus. And he's actually going to be turned upside down, and he's going to die upside down on a cross for Jesus. And this is what Jesus is telling Peter. Peter, you are going to die. This is going to be your story. And friends, most of us here aren't going to have to die. We're not going to have to be martyrs, okay, for our faith. I don't know. That could happen. But most likely, no. But the question is, are we willing to die to ourselves to let God use us the way he so chooses? To bring himself glory through your life and make your life count for his kingdom. See, this, is, this isn't easy stuff. This is hard all right, uh, you know, some of us have been kind of in the kiddie pool of our faith. And what I'm challenging us this morning is maybe to get out of the kiddie pool and jump into the deep end. The deep end where you say, God, here I am. You use my life the way you want to use my life. I just want to be used for your glory. And by the way, do you really want to be in the kiddie pool your whole life? Do you know what happens in the kiddie pool? It is a different shade of color. You put green and, you know, it's not as blue. Some of you need to get out of the kiddie pool. And you need to jump into the deep end and say, God, it's time for you to use my life because I want my life to count. And so I'll let you use it however you deem right and good for your kingdom building here on earth, for your glory. Man, I've asked God about this, like I, I'm, and I'm learning like how God is trying to use my life, even in this thing called ministry, that I'm still learning and still growing in. And I'll tell you, I just think one of the things that God keeps revealing to me as your pastor 
is that he wants me to be the pastor who is very honest and open about his personal failures. And it's something he puts on my heart and he won't let it go. And when there's something on my heart, he's like, Brent, I want you to be open and honest. Because that's not how I grew up. It's not what I've seen. And I think it's what so many of us, so many of us see the picture perfect pastor. And we have the picture perfect Christian in our mind. And it's the hero. And I want to be the hero. We all to some degree want to be the hero. And yet I've had to get up in front of you. I've had to talk about my past. Guys, I dropped out of high school. That wasn't easy to tell you guys. Not easy to tell you that I've struggled with drug addiction. I even had to stand up in front of you and say, guys, I failed as a pastor. I've been, I've been copying other pastors' sermons and using sermons. And you guys walked with me through that. And I had to send out an email and I had to stand before you and confess that and put my failure on full display in front of you. And because God kept telling me, I want you, you, you <laughs> I thought about quitting. I, God, you can't use me. This is what I do. I preach, and I'm using other people's material. And God's like, Brent, I work through failures. I work through people who want to run away. <laughs> I work through people who have blown it. And I'm not looking to you to be the hero. I'm the hero. And what I want you to do is put that on display for others who feel like failures to see so they know God can use them too. And friends, this is what we need. I'm telling you, the church has lost touch with what the gospel is all about. We put people on pedestals, even the people we read about in the Bible. You grew up in your Sunday school class hearing how you should be like Abraham. You grew up hearing how you should be like Moses. You grew up hearing how you should be like David. Can we just stop and analyze these men for just a second? Okay, Abraham was said he was going to be given a promised child through his wife, Sarah. He didn't trust God. He slept with his maidservant, Hagar, had a child through her, and then discarded them. What do you think the Me Too movement would say about that? This is our hero of the faith. Okay, let's move along to Moses, who killed a man. Did we forget he murdered a man, tried to hide his body? And also, when God said, this is what I'm calling you to do, he said, no, God, I can't do it. I can't speak. We're told in the Bible that God almost killed him. And this is our hero. David, yeah, he slayed a giant. That's awesome. I want to slay giants in my life. But let's not also forget, he then had an affair. And then when the woman got pregnant, killed her husband, had him killed on the battlefield. Okay, Peter denied Jesus three times. That's like the worst thing you could do. And God used all of them for his glory. Working through imperfect people. That's the gospel. God works through imperfect people. And I'm sent this morning to tell some of you, God's not done with you. Your story's not done. If you got some breath in you this morning, I need you to hear, okay? Your failure, whatever it is, it's not final. We all got some breath in us this morning, I hope. You need to call some paramedics. No, you got some breath in you. 
Your story's not done. And I don't know what that thing is. This is what we do in the church. Oh, yeah, that would be forgiven. God will use that. But my thing is this. I want you to hear God will take this and work through that. So I don't know what your thing is. I don't know what you've been struggling with or what that thing that you still have in your head that you're hung up on. Because I still have things in my past I'm hung up on, okay? But that's why I go to Jesus. And I let him show me some grace. And then I come to a place of where I just say, God, here I am. <laughs> Use me however you want for your glory. And maybe some of you are ready to surrender your life in that way as well. Can we just bow our heads and call the worship team out? Jesus, how oh, you're more gracious than we could ever wrap our minds around. And I know how the enemy loves to get in and tell us that you can't do anything with our lives. Uh, but I want to push back on that, Jesus. I want to push back on that evil. And I want us to be reminded as a church this morning of what the gospel is all about. You working through broken people. And maybe there's some of us out here today that need to receive that grace. And we say, God, I turn from my mistake and I ask for your forgiveness. And here's what you can know. Jesus did not die in vain. He died for that. So receive it. Humble yourself and receive what Christ has done for you so that you can be washed clean. And then maybe some of you are courageous enough this morning to finally say, God, here I am. Use my life how you desire for your glory and your kingdom building enterprise here on earth. God, I'm going to tell you that. I want to be used by you. And church, I want to encourage us. Maybe it's time to get out of the kiddie pool this morning, jump into the deep end, and see what God might do with your life. We're still talking about those men today, aren't we? Because we saw how God used them through their imperfections and through their failures and through their flaws. Let God use you. So Jesus, we're going to pray this. And we're going to trust that you're going to do great things in us and through us for your kingdom enterprise here on earth and for your glory and all God's people said, amen.